So welcome to episode number 108 of More Than Bread. My name is Dan. I'm the husband of one, the father of four, and the father-in-law of three, and more importantly, the papa of four. Uh, I'm the pastor of one church, and I'm your host. Way, way back when I started episode number one, I wasn't really sure where it would lead, but here we are on 40 of my top psalms. So welcome to More Than Bread. This is a podcast that is focused on Scripture Because we need more than bread. We need more than physical sustenance, more than stuff, more than success, and even more than friends to thrive. We need every word that comes from the mouth of God. And and we find that in Scripture. That's why we call it the Word. (laughs) This podcast might occasionally delve into commentary or current events. You'll hear some of my favorite stories as illustrations of scripture. And at times you'll get at least a hint of who I am, but at at the heart, really at the heart of this podcast is a value for the word, a hunger for the word of God. There's so much good in the word, stuff to learn and process, but even more, it's an opportunity for God to speak into our now, our present moment. So let's dive in. Today we're diving into Psalm 5. So listen as I read it from the New International Version. Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my lament. Hear my cry for help, my King and my God, for to you I pray. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the evening, in the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. For you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. With you, evil people are not welcome. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You you hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies, the blood first, thirsty and deceitful. You, Lord, detest, but I, by your great love, can come into your house. In reverence, I bow down towards your holy temple. Lead me, Lord, in your righteousness. Because of my enemies, make your way straight before me. Not a word from their mouths can be trusted. Their heart is filled with malice. Their, their throat is an open grave, and with their tongues they tell lies. Declare them guilty, O God. Let their intrigues be their downfalls. Banish them for their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous, and you surround them with your favor as a shield. Now, Psalm 5 is a lament. There are words that are spoken in a lament that we wouldn't necessarily speak if we weren't lamenting, even words against others who who, who are against us. Uh, Psalm 5 is a lament, and it's a cry for guidance in the midst of the, the trials and challenges of life. It's a reminder that we can be honest and authentic, even vulnerable with God. We, we don't have to hide the hard stuff. We don't have to hide our hard feelings. Listen to me, Lord. Consider my lament. Hear my cry for help. Through Psalm 5, we're we're invited to bring all of our struggles and all of our doubts and all of our fears and anxieties to God. Listen, there is life in the laments of Scripture. There's power in pouring our hearts out before God. Now, as best we know, Psalm 5 was penned by King David. The, The psalm itself does not give us many specific details for its historical context, but but most people believe it was composed during a time of trouble, uh, a season of great difficulty in David's life. You know, David faced so many challenges, so many hard times during his reign as king, political conflict, conflicts, wars with neighboring nations, and 
and internal struggles within his own kingdom, within his own house, broken relationships with his kids. Psalm 5 can be understood within the broader events of David's life seen in the books of Samuel and, and Chronicles. I mean, perhaps Psalm 5 was written while David was being chased by his enemies. Maybe even Saul, the first king of Israel. Saul was driven by jealousy, tried to kill David to keep him away from the throne. Or or perhaps Psalm 5 was written when Absalom, David's son, went into full rebellion. David had to run for his life. And in hard times like this, David turned to God for strength, inner healing, and, and guidance. Regardless of the specific historical setting, the psalmist is seeking God's guidance and, and protection in times of trouble. It, it expresses this deep trust and, and even resiliency that, that comes from an intimate relationship with God. So here, here's where I want to focus our attention for just a few moments. Let me read verses 1 through 3 again. Listen to my words. Consider my lament, Lord. Hear my cry for help, my King and my God, for to you I pray. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you, and I wait expectantly. That's pretty amazing if you let yourself think about it. This lament is gurgling up in his soul because of a time of trouble, but David is waiting expectantly. (laughs) I mean, Did you realize you can have both in your soul at the same time? Crying for help? and expectancy, lamenting in hope, in trouble, but trusting. C.S. Lewis is is one of my favorite authors. In 1940, with all the wisdom and experience that a 42-year-old man could muster, Lewis tackled the problem of pain and, and suffering. As World War II raged, many were struggling with the apparent absence of God in the midst of so much suffering and, and pain and evil. And so Lewis, Lewis wrote the book, The Problem of Pain. And, and it was really a, an analytical study, a theological study uh, to the question of God's goodness in hard times. And actually, I don't think it's one of his best books. But 12 years later, Lewis met Joy Davidman. He had never been married, and he told many that he never wanted to be married but Joy just won his heart. She was a writer from New York with a personality that matched her name. And they wrote letters, and she visited England, and years later they were married. While they were courting, while they were dating, Joy discovered that she had cancer. In fact, it was in the painful process of discovering that he might lose her that Lewis realized how much he loved her. And so they got married. The cancer went into remission, and they had two incredible years together, but then the cancer came back with a vengeance, and and Joy died. Twenty years earlier, Lewis had analyzed the problem of pain, but now he was experiencing God's silence in the midst of his suffering. In those private moments of his greatest lament, Lewis wrote a different book. It was called A Grief Observed. And in it, he says things that sound a whole lot like the laments and the psalms and the prayers of the people of God. In the midst of his pain, Lewis found God to be distant and silent. And and Lewis is lamenting when he writes these words, but go to God when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain. And what do you find? You find a door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the outside and on the inside. And after that, silence. You may as well turn away. The longer you wait, he writes, the more emphatic the silence will become. There are no lights in the windows. It might be an empty house. Was it ever inhabited? It seems so once. Psalm 5 is a lament, a grief observed. 
A lament is a prayer that cries out to God in desperation for his presence. It's a prayer that pounds on the locked gates of heaven. It's a prayer of deep pain and intense frustration and confusion about the absence of God. And yet a lament, listen, a lament is not just the hopeless cry of a discouraged people or venting of frustration or murmuring and complaining. A lament is actually a profound statement of faith in God. A lament hurls its hurt to God with a conviction of faith and the expectancy of of hope that God can do something, that because God is God, all is not lost, so we need not give up. And In fact, a lament is less like the surrender of hope and more like a fight with God. It's a fight with God for more of God. That's the expectancy. In particular, this lament is a cry for God to show up and quit letting wicked people do what they do without any consequences. It's like, come on, God, do you see what they're doing? Do something. The psalmist is crying for God to do something. The, the Israelites had developed a, a healthy theology of God's presence, and, and yet at times they still had a sense of God's absence, God's silence in the midst of their groaning. Have you ever struggled with God's silence in the midst of your groaning? God's absence in the midst of the wickedness all around you. I mean, sometimes life takes us through those times, right? I like how another pastor put it in a sermon on this fight with God for his presence. He said that we live our lives in the tension between our theology and our biography. (laughs) Between the tension of what we hope to be true about God and what we actually feel like we experience in our day-to-day lives that can often be filled with heartache and hardship unexpected pain or loss. And honestly, this tension is found in almost every chapter of Scripture and in many of the chapters of our own personal lives, right? These words are a few thousand years old, but hasn't some version of that lament come out of your mouth and in the midst of difficult times? It's okay. In fact, sometimes I think one reason why people don't take Christians seriously is because we've lost our heart to lament. Sometimes it seems like we don't take the world's pain and this world's evil seriously. We have this, don't worry, God is here and he'll He'll work it out kind of middle-class sweetness. But what if God wants us to lament? What if God wants us to cry out when he's silent? What if he wants us to fight for his presence, to wrestle with God for more God? Let me ask you, have you ever had a moment where it felt like you were fighting with God? Maybe it was a night when you couldn't sleep facing a difficulty in your life so overwhelming that you could almost physically feel it in your gut. Like it it deposited this pain and uncertainty into the very core of your souls. Like, Like you're physically fighting something or someone. Maybe fighting for racial justice, fighting for your kids to have courage in the in the face of a bully, fighting for fairness in your job. I mean, am I the only one? Have you ever felt like you were fighting with God for more, more of God? Look through history and you, you will find literally hundreds of stories of people wrestling with God, finding themselves in the middle of an experience with a silent God. Heavens like brass. St. John of the Cross called it a dark night of the soul. <laughs> Uh, you're not the only one. Most of us have had some of those moments. And it's even more pronounced when it seems like evil people prosper at the expense of humble, holy people of God. You, you realize this, right? Jesus was born into a time and a culture when evil people prospered at the expense of good God people. <laughs> Jesus came to a time when the people of God were wrestling with the absence of God. 
I've had some moments like that. I remember when one of my best friends, Pastor Paul Grable, died. It wasn't just that I was losing a friend and a, a family was losing their husband and father or church was losing its pastor. It was a it was a wrestling and a fighting for the city because that's what Paul and I dreamed and schemed about. Man, in those first few months, I had a few knocked down, put them up yelling matches with God, praying at the top of my lungs. I remember one night I was driving and just started pouring out, not not the nice spiritual words of prayer we'd learn in church, more like the R-rated words of a lament. And in fact, a few, <laughs> a few of the words were words we tell our kids they can't say. And I don't know, it, it seems like some of us can't even imagine an R-rated prayer. We shake our heads and I don't know, Dan, I don't think that's nice. But what if God wants us to lament? What if he wants us to be real with him in prayer? Ben Patterson once said that whenever you get bored with prayer, <laughs> it's probably a good sign that God is bored too because you're not bringing the real you. What if God wants us to show up face-to-face -face with our struggles and our doubts and our cries? What if he wants us to come with our real face and our real requests? What if God wants us to be expectant in the midst of our hard seasons? Expectancy is faith on tiptoe mixed with a deep sense that I'm loved. It's the wide-eyed smile of a little child waiting to come down the stairs on Christmas morning. It's more than a belief that God can do something. It's an anticipation that gives us the eyes to see what he's doing right now. It's the spark in your heart that makes you dare to look for the good to come from the bad. It gives you eyes to see a life redeemed from the mess while it's still covered with shame. Expectancy is hope. When the thrill of hope comes, the weary rejoice. But sometimes hope is put to the test, isn't it? In the Calvary family, we've had seasons where our hope's been tested. I think of Matt, a young man who was part of Calvary, served with our youth. Great guy. Lost hope, at least for a moment. Took his life. I mean, we come to hard times like this, and the question is, will we trust God even when we can't see the good that is yet to come? Will we still love when our hearts are broken? Will we hold out hope in the darkness? Henrietta Mears was one of my heroes of the faith. She had an amazing ministry in California back in the 30s through the 50s. For years, she was a Christian education director at Hollywood Presbyterian Church. She, she led the college group, and under her leadership, the next-gen ministry there grew from 400 to 4,000. She mentored people like Bill Bright, who founded Campus Crusade, and Jim Rayburn, who started Young Life, and Richard Halverson, the longtime chaplain of the U.S. Senate. Billy Graham once said that other than his mom and his wife, no woman impacted him more than Mears. She saw a need for people to get alone uh, to worship and pray and go, grow. So she found this plot of ground in the San Bernardino Mountain. She had no, no money or resources, but she said, I, I believe that God wants a place here for Christians to retreat through faith and responsiveness to the call of God. One of the great Christian retreat centers in America, Forest Home, got started. A few years later, in 1947, Billy Graham was at Forest Home, and he had what he described as the pivotal, the pivotal crisis moment of his Christian faith. After multiple conversations and prayer with Mears, he knelt down by the lake and he told God, for the rest of my life, I will preach the Bible with simple faith because of Mears. But she also had hard places in her life, places where hope was put to the test. As a college student studying chemistry, she was aiming to be a missionary to Asia, but her mom's death sent her into a deep depression. 
She was a woman in a day when women weren't given many opportunities to lead in the church. She was single in a day when marriage and family was a woman's primary goal. She had severe myopia, told as a child that she'd be blind by the age of 30. Christianity Today named her as one of the most influential Christians of the 20th century. And yet when she reached, listen, when she reached the end of her life, laying on a bed in which eventually she would die, somebody asked her, Miss Mears, if you had it all to do over again, what would you do differently? She had this incredible life. It impacted so many people. It's estimated that 500 plus people in pastoral ministry were mentored by Henrietta Mears. She looked back on all she had done. Lives changed, bold prayers prayed, all the moments when God brought hope to others through here. What would you do differently? Guess what her response was? She said, "I, I would have trusted Christ for more. If I had it all to do over again, I'd believe for more. This woman who lived such a hope-filled, expectant life made a difference in the lives of so many people. I wish I would have been more expectant of what Jesus could do through me. Listen, every day we face needs that we can't meet. We live in the midst of brokenness that we can't make whole and injustice we can't solve. And, and all around us are hearts that we can't heal. But if you are a Jesus apprentice, you have more than you know. You can't give what you don't have, but if you're in Jesus, you have more than you know. And someone in your life, in your neighborhood, needs what you have. The Spirit of God within you, the love of Jesus flowing through you. That's what you have. That's what we have. Let me just read that psalm again, this time from Eugene Peterson's The Message. Listen, God, please pay attention. Can you make sense of these ramblings, my groans and my cries? King God, I need, I need your help. Every morning you'll hear me at it again. Every morning I lay out the pieces of my life on your altar and and I watch for the fire to descend. You don't socialize with wicked or invite evil over as your house guest. Hot air booster collapses in front of you. You shake your head over mischief maker. God destroys lie speaker, bloodthirsty, and truth bender disgust you. And here I am, your invited guest. It's incredible. I enter your house. Here I am, prostrate in your inner sanctum, waiting for directions to get me safely through enemy lines. Every word they speak is a landmine. Their lungs breathe out poison gas. Their throats are gaping graves. Their tongues slick as mud slides. Pile on the guilt, God. Let their so-called wisdom wreck them, kick them out. They've had their chance. But you'll welcome us with open arms. When we run for cover to you, Let the party last all night. Stand guard over our celebration. You are famous, God, for welcoming God's seekers, for decking us out in delight. So how will you let this psalm shape your prayers this week? Let me pray for you. Father God, especially right now, I pray for any person listening who has a heart filled with lament, who who is stuck in grief. God, I, I pray with all my heart that that you would fill them with your spirit, that you would give them an ability, even in the midst of lament, to have hope. God, I pray that there's not a single person listening who who would be drained of all hope. God, would you pour hope out upon us by your spirit? Would you give us an ability to trust you for more? Would you give us an expectancy, even in the midst of the hard times? 
God, I, I thank you that we can come to you with our laments, that we don't have to hide our grief or our anger or our despair, our discouragement. We, we come to you and you welcome us with open arms. God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.